Good morning and welcome to Conversations with Buddy. We do these podcasts live from the Rec Podcast Studio in Kaiser, Oregon. Mostly on Friday mornings, but occasionally different days. So here we go. This morning, we have an awesome guest. His name is Justin White. And uh, Justin and I have known each other for, what did what, you say, a couple years? Yeah, about two or three years. Yeah. Anyway, welcome, Justin. Glad you're here. How did we first meet? Do you remember? I think we first met actually through Jordan. I think we all yeah. got together at one point in time. Yeah, we probably went golfing or something. Yeah, we went golfing. We did. Yeah, because was, it was the Young Life tournament, actually, when we first met. That's, That's when funny. it was. Because that was like two or three years ago, I think. Probably, yeah. And uh, yeah, Jordan was like, hey, I want to introduce you to Buddy because you were in his, uh, on his team for that event. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yep. Jordan Keck. So, well, hey, we got lots of good questions for you today. I'm going to just do a quick introduction of you real quick. So, Justin is a new husband, two months? Two months officially, yeah. Two months officially, that's awesome. Going on three here on the fourth. <laughs> Sweet, all right. So far, so good? So far, so good, Okay, yeah. good, that's good. <laughs> uh, you're a business owner, partner. Um, you went to Corbin and graduated from there, and you also played baseball for roughly four years? Yes. Uh, you golf, you are a dreamer, you like music, you're a singer, songwriter. I want to hear more about that, that's going to be awesome. You are a part of a maybe one or more nonprofit uh, organizations, and you're a board member. Is there anything I missed that maybe people need to know about you? I think I think that's good. I'm I'm an avid uh, person that tries to grow a really good beard that my wife doesn't like. So I think that's the <laughs> other thing. <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. it. It looks like it's working though. So it's trying to. It's trying so. to. I gave up uh, <laughs> after once COVID started. I I would probably shave like every four days because my wife said. It's got to go. And so <laughs> I don't have permission to try to grow like you or Chris over here. So Yeah. Well, hey, let's just dive in real quick. I want to learn a little bit more about you. Uh, first of all, I've always enjoyed you. Uh, you're your man after God's own heart. Uh, and uh, that's awesome. So l- tell me a little bit about where you grew up. What are the lessons you learned along the way uh, that makes you who you are today? That's a really good question. That's a loaded question. Loaded. Um, I grew up in a small town just outside of Eugene, Oregon. For people that are familiar with kind of Lane County area, it was called Pleasant Hill. So it was the Pleasant Hill Billies, not the Pleasant Hill Billies, but <laughs> it both were accurate. But yeah, I grew up, um, mom and dad, I had uh, three total siblings. Um, I was a wine child, so all three of my siblings were substantially older than I am. Uh, for translation, the wine child is I believe that I was an oops baby. <laughs> got it. Got and it. so I kind of grew up as an only child. Um, we lived on a dead end street, kind of in a valley. Did a lot of um, did a lot of different things. I was a, a three sport athlete. I did cross country, basketball, and baseball okay. in high school. And then I also did music. So I was a part of the uh, the the jazz choir, jazz band, mm-hmm. and then also wind ensemble. And uh, also in the process, just. Um, Involved with a lot of different farm work, working on a chicken farm, working baling hay. I mean, when you grew up in Pleasant Hill, it was kind of like the summers were you'd bale hay in the morning, you'd go and you would basically play ball during the day, and then you'd either bale hay or, or do your job in the evening. Um, also worked for uh, Texaco, so I was a petroleum transfer technician. Got it. Yeah. That's very cool. So you grew up on the farm, and you, you definitely learned how to work hard. Yeah, I think it's a great gift that your parents gave you. It's like, okay, Justin, go buck some hay and move the pipes and uh, go get the chickens and grab the <laughs> eggs, right? Yeah, we. I remember we had this. It was a big hedge. Um, gosh, I want to say it was about like a 
about a 10-yard hedge, really tall. And my dad would always tell me to go cut that at least three times in the in the summer. And so I had a pair of like these hand clippers that I would go and I would clip and clip and clip. Yeah. And, you know, it'd take me a good like four hours to get it done, partially because I was, I was a kid too. So right. I, was, I was taking consistent labor breaks. But it was interesting because when I got back from college, I remember how hard that job was. And I, I pull in from college and there's my dad with this electronic gator buzzing the top of the hedge. Hey, that's not fair. Well, come to find out, he actually just you know, had me hold on to the normal clippers because he's like, teach your work ethic. I That's wasn't right. going to show you the, the easy way out. <laughs> hey, he's a wise man for sure. I love that. So uh, here's a funny question for you. So A, how did you get your wife to marry you? Because you're, you're newly married, so we can kind of mm-hmm. pick on you for a moment. Because <laughs> uh, she's going to find out who you are down the road. Now, I think that usually happens when you're dating about month six. You finally realize like, Hey, you're not as perfect as I thought you were. Yeah. So how'd you guys navigate, you know, those dating years and then, you know, being married, getting to know, cause you mentioned that on the golf course, what we, yeah. we were out golfing last week and you mentioned that learning how to live with somebody of the opposite sex and mm-hmm. what's that like? So yeah, how about it? Well, the first question is I have no idea. I mean, it's <laughs> definitely a God thing. Uh, I, for, for years I couldn't get a date. And then the next thing you know, I'm, I'm like, this is my wedding happening right now. So divine intervention is what I'll say. (laughs) I'd I'd go with that. That's a good one. Um, yeah, it's a really good question. I, I think the one thing that, that her and I, um, really established early on in our dating relationship, cause we met during a very interesting time. Mm -hmm. Uh, we met in the middle of the pandemic and so everything was closed. And so the one advantage that we had was, uh, we had less fun things to do out like outside and with things being closed and we had a lot more time to communicate and talk. Yeah. And so early on, uh, we both kind of found out what kind of our values were, what the foundation of our values were, and then also went into marriage with very realistic expectations. Um, and you're right, like even two months into it, it it's funny, you know, I'm not going to digress into the things, but right. it's just like... It's very interesting when you when you start living with somebody. It's it's less of like the fun dating phase of like oh you get to interact with each other and then you go home and you don't necessarily see the the worst sides of who you are. You right. only see the best sides because it's like sales. You're presenting it every single day. Right. Um, but I think the cool part about navigating it is is a thousand percent communication and a thousand percent communication. But then also, and I'll speak for myself yeah. is being able to hear what's being communicated. I think that's one that's missed often from people is that it's very easy to get wrapped up in the things that, oh, I feel wronged or this is terrible. Instead of saying, what are the things that I can do? What am I hearing being communicated to me? And how can I make that adjustment? Because for me, I know if I choose not to, you know, she won't respond to the things that I'm dealing with. But if I can respond to what she wants in those moments, like, okay, like, you know, clean around the house more. Yeah. Okay. Now the action step. Now I need to clean around the house more. If I show that she's going to be a lot more open to hearing what I have to say instead, if I'm, you know, leaving my, my jeans on the ground and then saying like, Hey, I got something I want to talk to you about. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. It doesn't work well, does it? No. So before you guys got married, did you guys do any premarital counseling? We did. Yeah. So we, I, we uh, attend church on the hill. Okay, nice. Um, I actually lead worship at church on the hill. Awesome. That was, the, that was one other thing. But that's um, a plug. I like that. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we we ended up going through their program and, and got to do it through a, a a young couple with the church, and we we had a good time with it. Awesome. Would you recommend anybody who's thinking about getting married 
to go through premarital counseling? Yes, I would. Um, I, I'd say it's it's very interesting. My my take on it through the experience is that I think it's really good to almost do like two premarital counselings, and and this is why I say this is I I think it's really good to meet with a couple that's fresh in marriage. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really great to meet with a couple that's been in marriage for 40 years. Wow. And the reason why I say that is that sometimes, because we ended up with a young couple, we didn't end up with with an older couple. But I've also heard people with older couples that wish that they could talk with people that were younger couples say like, well, you guys have been in it for 40 years. You're kind of disconnected with et cetera, et cetera. But then on our end, it's like we got a lot of good information, but there's a lot of questions that we wanted to ask that they hadn't experienced yet with the older couple. So I think there's a there's a balance line. And I'd say I'd even encourage to say if you have the capability and you're not planning your own wedding, you have a coordinator doing that for you, right. is to find a young couple to talk to and an old couple to talk to. That way you can get a multiple perspective that I think is very healthy. Right. That's great advice. I've never actually heard that advice. Um, my wife and I went through premarital counseling 30-some years ago, and and uh, and then my daughter got married uh, in the last couple of years, and they had the older couple, which the joy from, from that wisdom, because they've been married, I think, don't quote me, but maybe 40 years, hmm. and pure joy. And... Year, every year on their anniversary day or around it, they meet and discuss how things are going. I can see the results of that, so it's pretty pretty amazing. That's awesome. Well, let's let's uh, let's talk about some more stuff here. Um, so I wrote down baseball, music, or golf. If you had to pick one, which one would you pick? Ooh, let's uh, <laughs> let's go with baseball. Let's start baseball. there. Yeah. All right. Tell me about baseball. Yeah, I um. I had kind of an interesting story growing up. So my brother, Rich, who's 12 years older than me, was a baseball player. And I grew up really – we were a baseball family. It, right. it was funny. It was like fall was for college football. We were huge Duck fans. You know, don't don't tell Pat Bailey. I won't tell Pat Bailey. <laughs> but um, grew up going to Duck games, and then in the spring it was all about baseball. So I was playing Little League, and my brother, Rich, was playing college ball. And he played um, – he played for Lower Columbia, which was a very, very successful um, NWAC college up in Washington. And then he ended up getting an opportunity after two years there to either go play for Gonzaga or do a full ride at Western Baptist at the time. This uh-huh. is 2000, 2001. Yeah. He went to play for Western Baptist, and I got to be their bat boy. That's how I found out about Corbin University. Okay. For those that don't know, Western Baptist later on became Corbin University. Right. So they changed their name. So I always wanted to play baseball. Like, that was a huge that was a dream of mine. I said, I wanted to play college ball just like my brother. That was a dream. So I would be out as a kid throwing a tennis ball off of the garage door and fielding it. My mom hated that because it left the tennis ball marks in the garage. But uh, I was always trying to hone my craft and I, and I loved the game. Well, what ended up happening is when we got into high school, we had a, a coach there that um, was really tough. He was a tough, tough guy. He, he came at it from a standpoint of very military style mm-hmm. and aggressive, so he'd scream and yell and the whole gamut. I mean, everybody that was in the community knew what this guy was about. Um, the problem was is I wasn't the type of player that responded well to that. My brother Rich did. My mm-hmm. brother Rich was the type of guy that if you screamed at him, he went to the next level. I was very different where I needed instruction and like a reason behind it. Because mm-hmm. if you give me a reason behind it, I could grasp it and then apply it. Whereas when somebody's tearing me down, I shut down. And so I ended up shutting down. And I had words said to me during that time. The, the one that really s- that stuck out to me was 
my high school coach telling me that I wasn't good enough to play at the varsity level. Uh-huh. He said, you'll never be good enough to play at the varsity level, is what he said. Um, and it was really painful. And I, and I got to a point my senior year where I was under so much stress that I actually said, I'm quitting baseball. So I quit my senior year. I went, went into the guy's office and said, I'm, I'm done. I don't want to play anymore. Uh, he said the door was open, but I was kind of like, whatever. And I said, Lord, I want to, I want to go to Corbin University that I knew that was a Christian college to grow in my faith. Yeah. That's why I said. Uh, unbeknownst to me, my mother was struggling with this and she tells her story, but she had a lot of resentment towards that coach sure. just due to the nature. And like I said, I'm not going to get into details of stuff, but um, she tells a story that she was out gardening at her house and she was struggling so much with kind of like hatred towards this person. And she felt on her heart, God say, you need to forgive your enemies. You know, I've heard that before. Pray. Yeah, I know. It's, you know, this, this biblical principle that yeah, it's yeah. really easy to love the people that love you, but yeah. it's really hard to love the people that are your enemies. Yeah. But God calls us to that because uh, there's a bigger picture. There's an eternal picture. And she prayed and she says that she prayed and she said, Lord, I forgive this man. I, I give him to you. And she said she felt the weight come off of her shoulders. Mm. Well, about a week later, I get this message from a guy by the name of Jeff McKay. And I'll give you some background on Jeff McKay. He was the owner of Baseball Northwest, which was a massive recruiting platform, still is till this day for high school players to be seen by college players. I was involved with his program for a while when I was growing up, mm-hmm. and so was my brother. Well, Jeff reaches out to me and says, Justin, I lost track of you. And I go, well, I you know, I'd quit. I'm not playing you know, politics. And all he sent was, call me. And he gave me his number. And so I gave him a call. And started talking with him, and he says, tell me your story. And I, I went into detail. I, I didn't hold anything back, and I said, I'm, I'm just going to Corbin, and, and that's kind of the final straw. And he goes, well, do you want to play college ball? And I go, well, I'm going to Corbin, so I don't know how that's going to work. And then Jeff goes, well, I just accepted the head coaching job at Corbin. Boom. <laughs> that's awesome. And so I went through this journey of being told that I wasn't good enough to then playing on a summer league before college with guys like Jeff Hendricks, who played at Oregon State, yeah. guys like Tommy Thorpe, who played at Oregon, who ended up getting drafted by the Cubs. Wow. Uh, played with outfielders that, uh, I, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but was drafted by the Padres and getting to pitch. And then my pitching coach was Dean Stiles, who was Ooh. the Oregon Ducks pitching coach. And I remember for the first time having a guy come up to me and give me instruction. And I had such a fun time playing at Oregon and Oregon State and these other places. I was like, I have no business being here. Well, fast forward to Corbin, freshman year, we're at Volcano Stadium and we're playing against Concordia. And uh, a guy by the name of Nate Hebert was was slotted to pitch that game. Well, he ended up getting the stomach flu, so he couldn't pitch. So my name got called and Jeff was like, all right, you're pitching. And so I'm out in the bullpen getting ready. I'm like, this is crazy. Like I'm in a minor league park playing college ball. It's my dream. I'm nervous as heck. And I remember Jeff McKay coming specifically. I I can get emotional doing this, but he spins me around and he looks me right in the eye and he says, you're good enough. Wow. And I can't tell you going from where I was to that moment, how impactful those words were from Jeff and that day on Volcano Stadium's mound, I pitched a complete game shutout against Concordia as kidding? a college pitcher. Fast forward my sophomore year, 
I ended up setting a single season record at Corbin as a starting pitcher, including beating Elsie State on their home field, hmm. uh, shutting them out. It was a four to nothing victory. They're the 11th ranked team in the nation. And then the following week, beating nationally ranked UBC. I had an incredible sophomore year, and then God quickly humbled me and taught me another lesson because I lost my starting spot junior year. <laughs> Is but, it, isn't that funny how that happens? It is. And at the time, it was disheartening, but I look back, and I and I realize now that I'm 30 and looking back and realizing there's more to that. God blessed me with my dream, but he also had a better lesson to teach me, mm. and it taught me to really enjoy the moment, not take myself too seriously work hard and realize that, you know, life is fickle. Life is short. Yeah. And it's like, it's about those experiences. Because I look back and those pinnacle moments are important. That Concordia win is important. That LC State win was important. But the thing that I tracked the most with were the lessons that I learned. The the ball players that I got to spend time with on the bus and build relationships with. Knowing Jeff, knowing those impactful moments, it was a lot more than just baseball. Yeah. Sounds like uh, coaches have a huge impact on their players, you know, could be good, could be negative. That's really awesome that Jeff said one or one sentence to you, mm-hmm. you're good enough, and that you pitched a, a no-hitter game, mm-hmm. just a shutout. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. Well, dude, that's, that's awesome. It's a great story. But I know you're also passionate about music. Yes. So I, I heard your passion about baseball. You probably looked up to your older brother. You might have <laughs> idolized him a little bit. I want to be like him and – which is probably why you have the affinity for baseball. But I know you also have an affinity for music, so let's talk about that for a moment. Yeah. So so I wrote down, um, you have a story about Toby Mac. Uh, by the time this podcast airs, the Fish Fest will be long gone. Mm-hmm. So walk us through the Fish Fest, Toby Mac, and your singer-songwriter mm-hmm. uh, and your connection to Tennessee. Yeah. Loaded. I'll work backwards because it's kind of a good little transition. Okay. Um, I always had a heart for an all-city worship night. And um, long story short, God has put things together uh, for uh, this coming Wednesday. So on the 24th, we're doing an all-city worship night. 24th of August? Yeah, 24th of August, uh, 7 o'clock. Gates will open at 5.30. But um, the irony of it is it's called Ignite, and we are going to be leading worship at Volcano Stadium, which is the stadium <laughs> that God made that moment Seriously. with Concordia. Wow. So you talk about full circle moment, like that is an incredible thing that's happening. And so to give you the background on the Fish Fest thing, I have to give you the background on Ignite. Yeah. So Ignite kind of started a couple of years ago. We, we kind of had some ideas. We had a, like a larger committee that was a part of trying to plan like an all-city worship night. Between COVID and just the amount of people on the call and everything, it it just kind of fizzled out. Um, and I think the stadium ended up being booked that summer. So I kind of got discouraged. I was like, okay, it's not happening. And then literally three months ago, um, right before you know my wedding, uh, I get a, a text from Tiffany, who also lives leads at Church on the Hill. And she says, hey, I want to do an all-city worship night. And uh, you have connections, right? And I go, well, let me let me contact Lisa Volcano and see if we can make something happen. Well, she introduces me to this guy named Andrew Baxter, who's the player chaplain for the league that plays at Volcano. He's from L.A., real estate agent in, in L.A., and also the Dodgers bat boy. Hmm. And he had just a huge heart for Jesus. And uh, we had a meeting, and we kind of discussed, like, my vision for the event. And I didn't want to plan anything because my wedding was coming up. Yeah. Katie and I were coordinating it. So I was just like, okay. 
I don't want anything, Angie, you take it. Well, long story short, in the span of one month, um, God provided all the funds necessary to put on this event at the stadium, even to the point where Andrews turned it into a nonprofit. And the fish radio station is going to be there and seeing the night and then live broadcasting it. And they had a bigger vision where they said, if this goes well, we want this to be like a, a potential long-term thing. Well, part of that was they messaged Andrew and said, we want your team to open up Fish Fest this Saturday. Mac Powell and Toby Mac are the headliners, but we want you guys to come out, talk about Ignite, and then do a worship set for the the people that are at the festival to kick off the festival. And it's like, I'm sitting there and I'm going like, what in the world? Like, obviously the Lord wants this to happen. You know, the Proverbs 16:9, a man will plan his route, the Lord directs his step. Yep. Like that is 100% what is happening right here. And so, yeah, it's... It's pretty crazy. So, yeah, those two events kind of happened simultaneously with each other. And then to even rewind farther back, uh, I'll, I'll tell you another story which got me into songwriting because I actually write with a label called Full Circle Music. They have an app called Song Chasers. And I got to connect with Full Circle Music through Jeremy Camp's bass player, Walt Smith, who I was connected to via... Logan Martin, who is the worship pastor at Court Street Church, where I happened to also be the custodian at that time. Whoa. So it was one of those things where I've always had a passion for music. You know, I did it in high school. My grandmother was a touring opera singer, and I had the heart. But it was, it's funny when it talks about like you bloom where you're planted, like faith of a mustard seed can move mountains. I was just a custodian at Court Street, mm -hmm. you know, connecting and just helping out at that church. And also, anytime I got just serving with leading worship at Young Life in these different places. And then when I go to Nashville, I get connected with uh, Seth Mosley of Full Circle, get to go out for some songwriting retreats. And basically about a year and a half ago, I get a message from uh, Logan Crockett, who works on Full Circle staff, and says, hey, we're doing this venture with songwriters. Uh, COVID has basically showed us that we can do digital songwrites. It doesn't have to be in Nashville. So they created this app that connects songwriters across the world that can write together. And they do all sorts of like podcasts and interviews with artists. And to give you an idea, Seth Mosley does work with like Four King and Country, Jeremy Camp, uh, Newsboys, Mercy Me. Like wow. he does all this. So he's Grammy award winning. But he's opening up this platform for people to connect, build their songwriting, and then pitch music. And I got a message from Logan and he says, hey, we want you to be on the front end of this and test it out. We'll give you a lifetime pass. Oh. And it's just, you know, it's just one of those things where, and I don't say that as like, like an arrogant thing. I, I say that to be like, it's amazing when God wants something to happen, it happens. And I think a lot of times we trust our own strength and there's definitely an action step. But I think a lot of times as professionals, we tend to forget that like what God wants to have happen, if we're actual faith followers, it's going to happen if it's yep. his will. Yep. You know, and it's going to happen in ways that you would never even plan in your mind. And when we try to do it in our own strength, like you said, trusting ourselves versus trusting the Lord. Yeah. It almost, well, it can work out, but it's never as fruitful as if we just wait upon the Lord and he does it through us. I love that. I, I love that. Um, let's, let's end on this note here. And I think people are going to want to hear more about your music and probably uh, find out how to, be a part of your songwriting 
platform or whatever. So that that would be encouraging for a lot of people. The last thing we want to end on is you're part of some nonprofit organizations. Um, So FCA. Yeah. Are you also on Young Life as well? I'm not on Young Life, but I uh, I will be working with Andrew when he gets his board together for the Ignite nonprofit Got for the it. worship. So that'll be another one that I'll I'll be on the board on. Okay. Um, as it establishes. So. So tell us about FCA. What's it stand for? Yeah. Um, I I do participate in it, um, but I need to know more, and so do our yeah. listeners. So tell us about FCA, how you're involved, and then what it means, uh, as far as. I don't know, leaving a legacy yeah. down the road. Totally. So FCA, it, it stands for Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And um, FCA actually had a pretty big impact on my life too as I was going through college. And and uh, basically their goal is to connect with athletes, do huddles with high schools in the areas and colleges, and basically work through athletes to be able to preach the gospel. Mm. Because in a lot of senses, when you think of athletes in school, they're some of the most influential people in those schools. Totally. I mean, I remember growing up, it was funny at Pleasant Hill, when I had the trumpet in my hand, nobody would talk with me. But if I had a basketball in my hand, all of a sudden, you know, yeah, people would, would be talking to me. It's Isn't like, oh, that interesting? You're a basketball player. Yeah. Now it's the flip end. If you have the trumpet, it's like, cool. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. As you got older. Yeah, I know. But yeah, so they're, they're really... They're really focused on trying to build that type of community. So uh, I'm on the board. I'm on Pat Bailey's board, yeah. which uh, you'll be doing an interview with him yeah. actually Can't shortly. Wait. Shortly. But, um, you know, his goal for FCA is to really build something that has a lasting foundation in in Salem, you know, Eugene and Corvallis. Yeah. Like that, his territory is in that area. And when I say leave a lasting legacy is – build the foundation of the FCA ministry in this area where it's it's not flaky. People aren't just in it for a little bit and then gone, but actually people that are investing into these schools and in the communities in a way that are are helping these kids grow in their faith, helping them grow in their sport mm-hmm. and allowing FCA to be kind of the, the, the go-to ministry in regards to sports ministry. How long has FCA been around? Oh gosh, it's been around for a while. I want to say... Gosh, I don't know. I'd have to look it up. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've been involved a little bit for maybe, I think, between five and 10 years. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, I like what they stand for. Um, well, how do we end this podcast? I mean, was there any anything else you think is important we should talk about yeah. that you'd like to share with the world? Well, you know, it's... Um my uh, my dad used to tell me all the time. There's an old George Strait song. It was on uh, favorite singer, by the way. George Strait, favorite country singer. What's yes. your favorite song? Uh, gosh, I got so many. You know, Amarillo by Morning <laughs> would probably be my most classic song. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, being in the lending world, both of us, I, I would think Oceanfront Property. <laughs> it's one of them. Yeah, yeah. I, in I got, Arizona, I got many. I just can't pick one. Yeah, he um, he had a. Uh, a song on one of his albums is in the mid 2000s. It was called a Ro- The Road Less Traveled. You familiar with yes, that one? Yeah. And my dad, I remember he would put that in his truck. We'd do dump runs together. It'd be me, uh, our dog Shiloh and dad. And we'd always do these dump runs to the, to the dump in Pleasant Hill. So they had this area that you could go and drop it into trucks and they'd haul it off. And he'd always play that and he'd say, son, just remember when, when life gets hard, when things get tough, take the road less traveled. Mm. It may not necessarily be the most popular route. It may not be the most easy route, but it's the route that is going to pay off dividends in the future. Yeah. 
And I think nothing's more prevalent in today's culture than that, especially in a world where there, there's so much movement with groups and so much push for things to be able to take a look and say, okay, let's look at the full perspective. Right. Let's take a look at this. It's not a right wing. It's not a left wing thing. Like what is the actual thing going on? Yeah. That's really hard to do in today's culture because everybody wants to pick sides. And so I think my encouragement to people listening is take the road less traveled. Take the road of, of looking information up, not just relying on hearsay, but actually taking a right. look at full perspectives in everything that you do and understand that there's a story behind it. Jesus always knew the hearts of the people he was dealing with. There was yeah. a deeper story than what was being portrayed. Like the people that came up and said, who should you give this coin to, right? It says he knew their hearts. Right. Their hearts were to trip them up. They didn't actually want to know who that coin was. And then he comes back with the best answer. Remember the answer, yeah. right? Give unto Caesars. What unto is Caesars? Caesars? Give unto God. What's God's? And they walked away because yeah. they knew they, that they were had. Yeah. So coming in with a road less traveled perspective and in, in understanding that like not everybody's going to agree with you. Not everybody's going to like you. Yeah. That's okay. Like it's okay to be disagreed with and it's okay to disagree. Yeah. You know, but you can still do it in love as well. Absolutely. Sounds like too, somebody needs to crank up some George Strait. I, I tell my <laughs> wife, if I'm trying to play guitar and learn guitar and it's, you know, I wish I learned it when I was 10 or 12 or 15, but yeah, you know, the last 10 years I've been working on guitar and it's just taking a long time. But if I could die and come back as somebody, it was George Strait. That's who I want to be. And <laughs> so she laughs about that. Absolutely. Well, hey, let's end on this note. If somebody wants to reach out to you, Justin, and learn more about you, your passions, uh, FCA, music, or whatever, yeah. how, how would they reach you? Yeah, you know, a great way. Um, I'll just, what I'll do is I'll share um, my Facebook. So basically, Facebook, Instagram, you can look. It's it's official Justin White music. And you'll see me, I'm in like a like a black coat with a red, red shirt playing guitar. So yeah. if you like connecting on Instagram, you can follow me there and, and kind of see I'm in the process of working on a full-length album too. So hmm. people can reach out to me on there and connect. Um, and then also like I'm, I'm okay giving out my, my number too. Honestly, fire away. So, yeah, so five four one five two one four zero six seven. Like as long as you call, if I see a number that I don't recognize, I tend to send it to voicemail. Mm -hmm. So if people just leave a voicemail and tell me why they're calling, I'll give them a call back. But I love connecting with people and, and hearing their stories. So yeah, those are the those are the two best ways to connect with me. Dude, that's awesome. Well, hey, we're gonna do a little wrap up. Uh, lots of great takeaways. I hope this is encouraging to people. In fact, if you're out there listening and this is encouraging to you, would you like and also share uh, the message that Justin shared with you? And uh, we want to get this message out to people. And then lastly, we wanted to say thanks to The Rec for hosting this yeah. podcast. We appreciate uh, their hosting. And if you ever want to go bowling and have a good time, come out to Kaiser to The Rec and you'll have a great time. So until next time, uh, thank you very much. 